Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio.
And welcome to another edition of the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network. We thank you for joining us as always. You could be doing anything else and you decided to be with us uh, today. The 646-563-999-3662 is the number to get in touch with us. The chat room is open as well. If you want to talk with us there, you can definitely do that. Make your questions and comments there as well. Or get on the line if you have some something to add to this broadcast. I want to bring in my, my guest, longtime friend. He is our residence chief of police, uh, former chief of police in Little Rock, Arkansas. He is... Keith Humphrey and and Chief, first of all, good luck for your cowgirls uh, this year. Number one, um, uh-huh. and um, how are you? <laughs> and how are you doing? <laughs> well, after all that abuse, I don't know, man. That that abuse right there was bad, but uh, I appreciate it, man. And I <laughs> tell you, man, you feel, and I, I say the same about the silk curtain. Uh, you know, I mean, that's your team, right? The silk curtain. Right. <laughs> yeah. Hey, well, look, we don't have a quarterback. Bills don't have a quarterback. Well, hey, man, I'm doing good, yeah. man. I'm enjoying re- enjoying retirement and uh, you know doing some doing some things I I like doing and um, I'm doing good. Thank you for asking, man. Good, good, good. Um, it, it, so I wanted you to come on and talk about the ramifications of. Uh, these two former Minneapolis police officers who uh, declined a plea, which would have given them a three-year sentence, uh, and which you know, you know, they got to do the time, but three years is is could be far worse than that. They decided, um, um, Mr. Thao and and, and and Jay Alexander, they were charged with aiding and abetting both second-degree murder and second-degree manslaughter in the George Floyd death. In Minnesota, um, uh, they and Thomas Lane were working with Chauvin when he pinned Floyd's neck down, if people don't know, with his knee for more than nine minutes as the 46-year-old black man said he couldn't breathe and eventually uh, grew steel. I, You know, I guess with Chauvin, who was convicted of second-degree second murder uh, last year, he was sentenced to 22 and a half years on the state charge, I don't know how much he's going to do. But what does this do to the community at large, Chief? Would they they want to fight this? They want a trial, and does it does it seem like you know at some point? I mean, we only can speculate, but does it seem like they if they're not taking a three year plea, and maybe the fix is in? Maybe you know they feel like the jury's going to no bill them. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if that's going to happen, but what does this do to the community, to the Floyd family, and, 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 and what about what these cops are actually doing? Yeah, thank you, L.A. Uh, it puts the community back on edge. Uh, it, um, it, uh, it, it sets a point that they're still not re- accepting responsibility for their actions. Uh, the reason I believe that they want to go to trial is because their attorneys and the unions have probably told them, you all didn't touch this man. Um, you all could not make this, could not make Chauvin stop. You guys are being railroaded. And so, you know, go to trial. Well, they go to trial with a 50-50 chance. Uh, they're going to 
get a harsher sentence, so they're going to get no, uh, you know, acquitted. But what it tells the, the community that nobody, they're still not accepting responsibility uh, for their action. You know, there was a duty to intervene, and they refused to step in. Uh, not they did not even try to step in. Uh, but you know, they're saying that, well, you know, that wasn't our fault. You know, we 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 couldn't control Chauvin. So that you know that that is going to set the community back a little bit because now you you got to start this all over again because you know LA if that if they're found not guilty there's gonna that's gonna cause some problems in that city there's gonna there's gonna be some this, this stuff's gonna start all over again yeah and it's igniting a fire in my opinion so it I mean you were a chief if. If a cop allowed another cop to do what Chauvin did and they stood by, I mean, you would think, I know you, you're a straight-up guy, You, I would think that you would fire them, right? I mean, and I know it's not oh, that easy because of the union, but you can't stand there as a law enforcement officer and watch this guy choke this man to death. No, you can't, and, and, it, and, it, and it comes down to they're going to be trying to talk about their tenure, that they didn't feel that they were they had a right to stop a senior officer from getting involved, stopping a senior officer from doing what he's doing. They were victims of, you know, they were just victims of circumstances, and, hey, this is, this is what, but, yeah, they would, you know, they did the right thing in firing them, and, and you can't have someone who you trust with protecting lives, uh, stand idly by while a man dies before a nation and you don't do anything. So you, you can't have someone work in the streets that's not willing to stop what's wrong. If they're not willing to stop someone who they appear, you know, one of their peers, then can you trust them to do the right thing when they see somebody else committing a crime? We're talking with uh, uh, Chief of Police, uh, or Chief Keith Humphrey, former uh, police off, uh, chief of uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, on the Bachelor News radio show. Chief, let's talk about that word trust. It, the community is already on eggshells. Something, even after all of this happened to this man and his family, um, there's no trust. You're already going into Ferguson, right, and there was no trust anyway. Now this happens. Now they want to d- d- deny a plea. Um, how does how does the Ferguson Police Department think they the civilians are going to trust them? Um, and I feel for the, the the chief there or whatever. But how do they think civilians are going to trust them if you have officers are still? you know, having plausible plausible deniability. It's not our fault. We didn't put our hands on him. We didn't choke him. But you stood idly by and allowed it to happen. You don't. Those guys don't care if the citizens trust them or not. It's all about their survival. Uh, That's the last thing on their mind right now. Uh, That's the last thing on some officers' minds. They actually believe that uh, it's them against the community. Uh, I've I've heard officers say that. Uh, they don't care about us. We're not going to care about them. We're going to just do the bare minimum, you know, to to, to earn our paycheck. And so they really don't care. Uh, they're looking. It's a survival tactic. It's a survival mode right now. You know, how do we stay out of prison? You know, we're hoping that we can get there and tell our story. 
uh, and play on the, the jury's emotions. And they so, and the union has told them because the union is the one that's paying their their uh, legal fees. So they've been told you have nothing to lose. Go for it, you know. Um, but like you said, you know, it doesn't send the right message. And and the community is when they, you know, you're hoping the community was healing. I, I will. T- I got to send a shout out to my to my boy, uh, the new public safety uh, director there, Cedric Alexander. Uh, I, I have a lot of faith in Cedric and confidence in Cedric's ability to help that community mend. You know, but Chief, um, when you you uh, look at this, um, and you look at what happened on January sixth, where they want to call it insurrection, I I call it. I mean, I'm gonna be real. White folks want to take their country back, right? So, it, you know, when you look at that, you look at Ferguson. Um, they're they're trying to. Um, you know, convict some people in Kentucky with that situation. Um, policing is really, it, 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 it's, it's, it seems like three divides. It's the police who want to do the right thing. It's the unions who want to protect these, these um, bad police. And then there's community. And they're just segregated. Like it's not, it's, there is no connection there. What's your vision on that moving forward? And how do you kind of fix that across the country? Because, again, you have cops that actually marched to the White House that were, you know, yeah. pro-Trump, you know, yeah, pro-all of this. To, They're still in our elections. Yeah, we're going to have to start holding these law enforcement entities accountable and these city leaders accountable. You know, L.A., um, when you, um, you know, it, it's, called, it's called comfort. You know, when you think, when you believe you can say whatever you want to and do whatever you want to because you wear a badge and carry a gun, man, that's a scary part. That's a scary thing. When you, when you have, when you support those individuals that uh, stormed the Capitol, uh, when you support the way they treated law enforcement, uh, when you support the, the way that they were actually going in to kill people and you carry a wear, gun, wear a badge and wear a gun, and when you were there, uh, when you actually knew that that was going to occur and you were there, uh, why should the community trust you? What it's going to take, man, it's going to take some of these police departments, some of these smaller police departments, and some of these mid-sized police departments. It's going to take actually take to completely doing away with some of these departments and rebuilding. Uh, some of them are just rotten to the core. And you know, if you don't if you don't get that bad piece of the apple out it's going to keep spreading and spreading and spreading. And that's why you have the culture that you have now. It is going to take a lot to get the, the community, especially the communities of color, to believe wholeheartedly in law enforcement again. Uh, and so um, you're going to have to explode. You're going to have to blow up this thing. You're going to have to blow this thing up and start over in some areas, in some cities. And if that means um, – uh, merging some police departments into metropolitan police departments. Um, you know, uh, I think it was, uh, oh, I'm trying to think of the police department up north, up there by where you're, Camden, Camden, New Jersey, um, is, okay. is a model for what they basically dissolved their police department and uh, started a metropolitan police department. There are several departments that have done that. 
and and they have pretty much, you know, basically you come with us uh, if you want to have your job. If not, then buy. And so those are things you'll have to do. Uh, I, I believe it's going to take, going to have to happen in order for us to uh, law enforcement to build the trust back or regain the trust of our of our communities. Because you're right, there are three 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 segmented groups. Absolutely, there are. I mean, segregated yeah. groups. Talking with Chief Humphrey, of course, on the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network, WCOM, uh, YouTube. You can follow us there at LA Bachelor YouTube. Uh, also, of course, on Facebook at uh, uh, Pad Nation and Pad Nation Two at Twitter. Um, it, it, Chief, one of the things that came up, uh, I was having a discussion um, with um, a person on the air, uh, one of my guests, and we were talking about mental illness and. You know, you talk about racial bias. You talk about, you know, white guys who grow up in the suburbs going into the inner city and never experience, you know, people black and brown and, and all of those things. These statistics are overwhelming, Chief, that um, when you have when, – when, when officers get a call about – someone's um, welfare, and I don't mean people, I don't mean food stamps people, I mean welfare, checking on them, and when they get there, if they're white, they treat them, I mean, statistics don't lie, if they're white, they treat them with care and, you know, with kids' gloves, and they want to peacefully bring it down, whatever, when they go to these black and brown places, you know, they, it's a different story. And not only that, once they have the custody of the person, white, they typically will go to a hospital and get care. With blacks, they come in guns blazing and want to throw them in jail. But they, they both got mental issues. So, again, that racial bias, that bias that you you think you fear for your life if you are not a, a person of color – is always there. Even this this guy, I, I can't remember what nationality is. Who, who? Um, uh, I, I believe he might be uh, Chinese or not Chinese, but maybe uh, Asian. Um, even he had talked about fear of his life and stuff. Like it's everybody just fears black people. We we can't just be mentally ill and go to the hospital. They want to send us to jail. And so it is that racial bias. That concerns me when it comes to uh, our communities and and those who serve those communities. Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a uh, fact of dehumanization, and um, you know, people. You know, I've said this before. There is a perception that if you live in a certain zip code, you you're wealthy, you have insurance. We're going to take you to a private facility. We're going to take you to get the help that you need because you're just having a bad day. Uh, when you live in another zip code, there is a possibility uh, that there is going to be your your mental uh, status is not going to be taken serious. Uh, you're going to be considered maybe an alcoholic. It's going to be one of those situations where you're going to be considered um, uh, not being forthcoming or just playing a joke so you don't go to jail. I've seen this happen before. I mean, I've actually seen this occur. So you're absolutely right. It does occur in law enforcement. Uh, these are things that um, that are taught during field training. These are some of the things that are taught 
also in the academy. Uh, certain areas are treated differently and provided certain uh, limited resources. Certain zip codes are provided all the resources and given the benefit of the doubt. That's just facts. That's the way. That's what happens in law enforcement. It's happened like that for years. It's going to continue to happen uh, because these are the way that some departments train. These are the scenarios that officers, of, the trainees, are being put into um, while they're in the academy. Uh, this is how you act in this area. This is how you do this because these people don't care about you. These people don't care about life. So why should we care about them? So you're absolutely right. There are those times when. Uh, race does play a factor in in the services that you get in law enforcement from law enforcement. Why don't what why doesn't the the law enforcement across the board at that level have something universal? Because it just seems unbalanced, and it it it's city by city, state by state. Even why can't they have a universal code when it comes to certain things um, like? Again, and not, cops have to be social workers, and they come and break up fights and deal with the criminals, this, that, and the other. I get that. So if that's the case, why not have a universal code where there's certain laws or certain things that go on that every agency across the country should abide by? Well, every, every agency is different, and, and you got to realize also there are some agencies that they don't have the access for training but at the same time they don't welcome other at they don't welcome other assets uh to be provided to them for training uh you have some that just don't care and so i hear what you're saying i mean i wish there could be um that type of mindset where everybody understands uh there are those states that they do have the mandates regarding certain responses that you know you will do this you will do that but there are some, depending on where they are, uh, they don't have the training. They don't want the training. Um, they don't feel it's necessary to have the training. Their main focus is being reactive and not proactive. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, they don't have the time or feel they should, um, you know, administer soft policing, as they call it. So there's a, there is not a urgency for some departments to um, – to do the things that are necessary to ensure that everyone in their community, LA, you still have departments that don't have body cameras that can afford body cameras. You still have agencies that don't, their officers haven't received any kind of uh, CIT training, crisis intervention training. You still have those departments that do that. You still have departments that can put an officer out on the street for up to a year before they actually send them to some formalized academy training. So there are some departments that are still far behind and they have no desire or no interest to catch up to the 21st century. And there's really no one that can make them do anything, uh, you know, with the exception of the DOJ, but the the DOJ has to have something first in order to look into that organization. Yeah, what I just don't get, what I just don't get is why – these unions of, of, of you know, police want to cut off their nose to spite their face. Like, why are you working against your own? You, you, you know what side you're on. But I don't understand well, why it, they it, work against their own. 
Well, because, you know, we all know why unions uh, started. And, and I'm a strong believer that there is a there is a need for unions and there's a purpose for unions. I do believe in the negotiation of benefits. I do believe in, in that. But what I don't believe is that when a union can tell somebody we're not going to do this and they can do they can they have so much authority to the point that the mayor's hands are tied, the city manager's hands are tied, the police's hands are tied because if you don't do what they want you to do, they will make your life a living hell. And it's all about power. It's all about uh, we're not going to allow people to tell us what to do. We're going to do what we want to do. Uh, and, you know, it, it goes back to when you have these individuals who are in these executive board positions of the union, they they do these things and they fall back under the umbrella of the union, not the umbrella of the police department, but the umbrella of the union, which means they're protected and they can say and do whatever they want to because they're acting on behalf of the union and not the police department. That's just crazy. Um it's crazy. And, and yeah, just some people are intimidated and, and, by them. Uh, let me ask you this, uh, uh, sort of the final question. So there is, you know, the the dude before Biden, I don't even like to say his name, um, they, you know, they went, had a warrant, took those, you know, all those files out of his house, and now he's playing, saying it was a raid and this and that, and they want to make a big deal out of it. He wants to reveal. And on the on the uh, social media, these crazies, Chief, as you know, they're talking about arming up again. Yeah. January yeah. 6th wasn't enough for them. Now they're talking about arming, you know, okay, we're going to go to battle for him, and we're going to take our country back and all this other stuff, which is really cold for a lot of different things that we, we know what it really means. So what would law enforcement be doing at this point outside of, of course, looking at monitoring social media, which they can't monitor everything, but what are the steps to be proactive to avoid anything like that happening at the Capitol again like it was January 6th? I know you got to have intel. Yeah, it's it's like you said a few minutes ago. It's all about it's all about being informative. I mean, being informed, uh, keeping the conversation going about the the zero tolerance and the fact that the matter is that we've got to make sure that our citizens aren't um, in jeopardy. Our citizen safety is never in jeopardy, uh, and not and it's not a matter of if; it's a matter of when. So, pretty much being ready, uh, being ready and prepared. For um, you know what could occur, and those are things that that we have to do. Uh, those aren't things that uh, you know we we think about doing. We have to be prepared because it's going to happen, LA. It is going to happen. Um, and I, I just want to say this really quick before we end. Um, in order for the FBI to get a warrant, the FBI does not serve a warrant unless they have their probable cause, and. I can tell you right now, before that judge signed that, there had to be a strong case there. Uh, they're not going to put that reputation on the line when it comes to, to that. And so it's out of fear. What he's doing now is out of fear. What these individuals are doing now is out of fear because they know uh, that uh, the time is running out before some really, really serious things are revealed uh, that this man had done. 
you know, one of the things too, Chief, uh, you had talked about, and and I hear all the time, is that law enforcement at different levels are not on the same page. Like they don't like to share all the time, right? And and so no. I don't understand that. So that does. So is DC police going to be working with you think with FBI and everything else be, to, to avoid this? Because oh, yeah. again, DC police was by themselves for the longest time yeah. until they called in National Guard or whatever the case may be. Yeah, you won't never see another incident like that occur in DC. Um, it, it was basically what happened was I think we're going to get to the root that there may have been some prep and they were told to hold down. But I think it's going to be one of those things where nobody took it as serious as it was. I think everybody thought it was going to be one or two people or a few hundred people protesting, and that's it. They didn't know it was going to be an all-out insurrection and riot uh, that led to, um, you know, people being seriously injured, officers almost dying, and things like that. And so I don't think you'll see it taken that lightly again. And 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 so. You better believe those discussions are being ha- are happening as we speak. Uh, those discussions are being held throughout the nation, uh, and uh, people are paying closer closer attention to what's going on in our nation, especially when it comes to um, uh, the the former man, the man that was formerly in the White House. Yeah, and you know, uh, the, someone just um, in the chat room asked. Can they be proactive and 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 look at some people online and maybe make an arrest? I would think they would have to have some kind of probable cause or something, right? Yeah, I mean, so anytime you get any kind of intelligence that it appears that could cause that that in itself gives you the right to start digging more and more and more. And and so anything related to any kind of security breach uh, it gives you that right to dig deeper and, and plan and start bringing people in and, and planning against any type of, of insurrection or any kind of violence that could occur. But I, what I, I guess what I'm saying is um, if someone's on Twitter or Facebook and saying, you know, I'm going to kill some people, they haven't actually done oh, yeah. it. So it's, how does that work? Like, do they are, are they able to – bring them in or whatever the case may be, or they can't do anything because they haven't actually done it. No, no. Uh, When it comes to those type of idle threats like that, based on the, based on the current atmosphere, uh, I can assure you that that person is going to be brought in. They're going to be serious monitoring. Uh, There's going to be bringing somebody in to have a serious talk with them about what's going on or digging into their social media or their private life. So, those times are just playing people off, and that's why I don't understand when someone threatens to do something, um, they don't. People don't say anything. So I think now, um, I think in this situation, based on what happened January 6th, you're going to see some major, major initiatives and some digging take place. A lot of intel is going to be followed up on. Yeah, because I think I would think you would understand that. Yeah, freedom of speech, but some. Some speech is not free. You can't go into a movie theater and, and yell fire and think there's no consequence. No, you can't. I would understand. No, you can't. So, no. Okay. No, you can't. And I think with everything that's happened in the nation, with Uvalde and all these situations where there was there was some type of forecasted uh, uh, sign and nobody did anything. I think with 
what's going on uh, with the guy that occupied the White House previously and, and his followers. I think you're going to see some downright intel digging and holding some people accountable. Because you got to admit, they still have about three or four hundred people. They still have three or four hundred people that they still haven't arrested uh, in in relations to January sixth. So that's still an. And I wonder why. I I wonder why though. Like you you know, you got them on film. You got the intel. Why are they not arrested? That that's what I wonder. You know. I think it. I think it goes more to not being able not having the resources and not getting all the information that you need to determine where these individuals are. And it's just so many moving pieces. So, you know, I mean, there's so many answers to that, but, um, you know, I just think that it's an ongoing investigation. I think you're going to start seeing more and more people, um, identified, especially before, Right. Especially before any of these other activities occur. Well, Chief, I appreciate you. I know you got to go. Thanks for your time. As always, man, I'll be reaching out to you again, sir. All right, man. Anytime. Anytime. You have a good one, man. Appreciate you, bro. All right. You too. Thank you. Thank you. Chief Keith Humphrey, of course, uh, a former um, chief at Little Rock, Arkansas, um, right here on the Bachelor News radio show take a, a, a music break and get to my next guest stay tuned
Welcome back to the show. We thank you for joining us as always. I want to bring in my guests here on the Bassett News Radio Show. Of course, he uh, is a the voice of UMass Lowell basketball, um, and um, of course of Anassis Media. He is Nick Anassis. How are you, young man? I'm good, Alay. How are you? I'm good with your announcer's voice, and also, of course, my longtime friend and co-host. Uh, from Sports Network, uh, Tony T. Mac McQueen. How are you, old man? Older than you. <laughs> you know I had to do that, T. It's been it's been a minute since we even got together, and I appreciate you guys. Uh, it, it, Nick, so you know Deshaun Watson. It came down. Some people wanted it a year. He got a he, he got eleven games. Um, were you surprised at that? And if if not, you know what you know what did you expect? You know the uh, NFL to do, and and even the NFLPA is really just kind of on board with this. Yeah, I think the NFL was looking out for their image first and foremost. Um, they, I think, learned some lessons from the Ray Rice situation, one would hope. Um, you know, they, they wanted to make sure that they did everything in their power to appear like they wanted the max punishment. And the initial ruling was, was obviously well short of that. You know, they took the public's temperature on it. I would say the average fan, you know, didn't approve of it. Um, and again, they wanted to make sure that they checked off all the possible things that they could do so that at the end of the day, they could say, well, you know, we, we did everything in our power to, to try to make it happen. We're here what you're saying, et cetera. Um, where that wasn't the case four or five years ago when I think the Ray Rice situation kind of caught them by surprise and left them with a black eye, so to speak. So I think they've learned a little bit in the years since. As far as the case itself, you know, I don't think anybody is is really going to defend Deshaun Watson, uh, associated with the league or not. Um, So so I I think it's probably a PR win for the NFL at the end of the day, if if that kind of answers your question. Um, but but the bottom line is, I think they did learn a lesson from from the last time around. There are some people out there, uh, uh, Nick and T, that um, feel that they want to defend him, right or wrong, from a racial standpoint. Is this if if this is a double standard? A lot of people even compared this to the Michael Vick thing, which I I don't see, other than they're both black and both quarterbacks. Um, but at, you know, at the end of the day, you, you, you're going to have some people that are going to offend in to see that it's a double standard and they, they base it on whatever. Um, and it, it's really, it's really a tug of war because you have that side, Nick, and then the other side is like, well, he should have got a whole year. Why do you get 11 games? He should have got a whole year. So you get this whole imbalance and tug of war thing going from uh, one side to the other. Right. Plus, he's paying a record fine of five million, which is you know nothing to sneeze at either. Um, 
but but yeah, I, I don't I don't think the NFL fights as hard this time around if they didn't have the Ray Rice situation to learn from. I think that right. was kind of a, a you know it, it's become the new standard in terms of how to respond. You know, you, you don't want certainly don't want to appear you know like you're underhanding anything or, or coming too light or you know letting them off with a slap on the wrist or whatever because the Ray Rice thing just was not a good look on a number of levels for the league. So, you know, I'm not very surprised at any of this. I I figured the initial six games would have been, or four games, whatever it was, six or four, would have been higher. Um, You know, the NFL could have let it, you know, go there and throw their hands up in the air and said, you know, we did everything we could. They didn't, I think, to their credit. You know, they pushed for a harder sentence and a bigger penalty, and, and they got it in the end. Um, you know, is it 16, 17 games for the full year? No, but it, it is certainly a far cry from the initial offering. So, you know, it's somewhere in the middle at the end of the day. And I think at this point, all the options have been exhausted. And I think everybody's probably ready to put this behind them. Watson, the Browns, the Texans, and certainly I think the NFL. Yeah. T, your thoughts on it? I mean, um, I've had some conversations with some people about it. Actually, uh, uh, Nick, it brings up Ray Rice and Ben Roethlisberger, where the tapes got mysteriously gone and all this, and he got the the, the games he got. What's your thoughts on what the NFL did, if, it, if they got it right, and, and moving forward? Uh, for the most part, they got it right. Uh you got to, you know, I think the elephant in the room that I think a lot of people are forgetting is that he already did a year. I mean, you know, he did right. a year. He already missed the full right. season. So, to me, I think if you had just made it eight games, I think it would have been fine. But, see, look, there were going to be people that even if he had gotten a full season off, uh, there would still be, you know, there's just, there's just going to be some folks that's just going to whatever. And, again, that has nothing to do to me with, uh, what allegedly may have happened. I think there's just some folks that just uh, want to have the right to uh, what to, um, for lack of a better word, bitch and moan about uh, decision. That being said, um, when you consider the overall climate with the NFL now, uh, with the whole thing with the Dolphins, with the uh, with the Gruden thing uh, up in the air, with the whole um, Daniel Snyder thing up in the air. Right. Yeah. And there's one other thing that I think, you know, I, I find it kind of interesting. Now, Robert Kraft, the owner of the Patriots, was involved in a sex scandal last year, and it was sort of poo-pooed or whatever. Uh, he is now uh, a... Um, He's now a candidate for the Hall of Fame. Sort of talks wow. out of both sides of the – yeah, yeah. Sort of talks out of both sides of the NFL's um, behind to me. But, you know, they're, the, 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 the NFL, uh, for the most part, likes to play that whole Teflon thing. But, yeah, but, you know, Nick's right. They wanted to – their whole thing was they always do everything from a PR standpoint that, you know – the Ray Rice thing is still there, but what what what, what the the, fun, the sad thing is is they got a second bite at the apple again here because 
why go through all of that with that arbitrator when you're going to make your own decision anyway? Anyway, that's, right. I mean, that's the, and to, then, me, to me, that's, the ele- yeah. that, that's one of the elephants in the room is that if you were going to make this decision, then why go through all of that other stuff with the original arbitrator and then to bring in another? I mean, do your job the first time. Get it? You know, I mean, right. it, 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 it shouldn't have – they shouldn't – to me – my only thing is they shouldn't have been given a second opportunity. I know it's, you know, it's written in the CBA or whatever, but my thing is why placate like the first decision is going to be the one where, where, well, if I don't like it, I'm going to change it. I mean, why, why go through all that? Just make the, let's make the initial decision and move on. Right. And Nick, you know, I would think, I always compare, people laugh, I compare the NFL to the Democrats. They're reactionary. Um, they look at the polls and they go and move from there, as opposed to like the NBA tries to be proactive and all of those different things. Do you think that the NFL is a reactionary league where they, sure, they looked at Ray Rice and made a decision, but they don't seem to, they don't seem to move until they get the pulse of the people. Yeah, in general, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, we could come up with a dozen examples off the head. Um, I think I think to a degree, though, every business, to a degree at least, is reactionary. And again, at the end of the day, the NFL is a business, a very big business by any standard. Um, you know, anytime you're selling a product, so to speak, you've got to take the temperature of those that you're selling that product to. And I think part of the problem is that there's still no real uh, standard, you know, when it comes to these punishments. You know, everything is arbitrary when it comes to suspensions in the league, at at least on the disciplinary side. I think if they had a little bit more outlined, a little bit more, um, you know, codified, things set in stone, whatever you want to say – something they can kind of fall back on that's a standard. And they're still, I think, reaching for that. I, I mean, again, the Ray, I hate to keep bringing up Ray Rice, but, but that seems like that's been kind of the new standard because it was so horrible. It was on tape. It was on every cable right. news network 24-7, et cetera. It was, you know, a worst-case scenario for the league. I felt like at that point they had an opportunity to say, okay, if such and such happens – then that's going to trigger a punishment of X, Y, and Z. They never quite right. did that. I, I think they're still kind of using the rice thing as a baseline moving forward. Anything that you know involves abuse towards women um, is going to be compared to that incident. And I think the Deshaun Watson you know thing is the latest example. But I, I think the bigger point is yes, they're reactionary, and they would be better served, I think, to try to find some way to make, you know, a universal punishment standard that's apparent that, you know, has everybody on the same page, the players association, the owners, the players themselves. It's a big task and it may be pie in the sky, so to speak, but um, if they could get something, you know, a little bit more concrete in place, it might help clarify things down the road. You you talk with uh, Nick Anastas and Tony T. Mac McClain. Um, I'm wondering, uh, Nick and T, uh, I'll start with you, Nick, that if, if uh, this is going to be, I, I brought up the 
I brought up the um, the Michael Vick stuff that when Deshaun comes back, is it going to be protest? Remember with the dog killing and all that stuff with Michael Vick? Do you think, Nick, that it's going to be a situation where, you know, when, when he comes back to play, that they're only going to be, uh, you know, is, is there going to be some, some people out there protesting and why is he playing? And, they, you know, they have the signs about rape and all, whatever the case may be. Do you think that's going to happen in, in stadiums when he comes back? No, I don't. I, I think there might okay. be a little bit initially, a, a little bit of pushback initially from the fan base. But I think by now, you know, even the average NFL fan is, is pretty familiar with the details here. I mean, we're not talking about, you know, I, I, again, something that was on camera, something that was assault. Um, you know, from all accounts, at least that I understand of it, it was a, a lot of it was non-physical in terms of, you know, he kind of talked his way into the situation more so than forced himself or, or whatever it was. Um, and again, back to Tony's point, he's, he served a year. This thing has been floating around for a while. You know, temperatures have had a, had a little bit of time to cool off. Um, I, I think most people are just ready to move on, frankly. And, and, you know, right. those that are still in his, those that are still in his corner want to see him play and, Obviously, his fans want to see him do well and all that. But, yeah, they'll, there's always going to be a little bit of pushback. But as far as this thing being a major distraction on the protest front, I, I don't quite see it uh, in terms of anything significant. Mm. T, what do you think? I'd like to think that there would be, uh, but you know, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just being, maybe I'm just cynical. I, I, I think they're definitely going to. Um, I think there's going to be a kickback. Uh, it may not be enough where it's an outcome, but there's going to be there's going to, there's going to be some sort of kickback, I believe. Um, but will it be enough to uh, make a dent um, overall? Probably not. But who knows? Who knows? It's it's it's, it's you got you know we're in a we're in a our, our, we're in a we're in a we're in a our society right now. Think about where our society was before the very race thing, and now where it is now, and right. that. And I think that's why the 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 Ray, the Ray Rice thing is is literally been you know like three elephants in the room, or I guess in this case three three elephants in an elevator. But it's you know there was no way there was no way sort of not to use this, and I sort of want to go back to what. Uh, Nick said they're supposed to get it right the first time because they've had new, you know, let's face it, they've had numerous things over the years since the Rice thing. And, and see, right. the thing is, they've basically, you know, Roger Goodell is basically judge, jury, and executioner for the most part. And to right. me, the, you know, I, not now, I guess that's in the CBA, so there's almost no way around it, but that to me, that's where that's where the problem lies. If you're going to give somebody total autonomy and then giving them, in a sense, the right to first refusal, then why are we doing, you know, to me, the big question is, why did something like this take almost two years to get done? I think that's right. the one thing that should be that, that to me, that's the one, you know, this is not something that should have taken a year and a half to get done. This is something right. where, because 
they always make it out like how they have all this evidence and and all this other stuff and everything like that, and then they they you know they they drag ass on this. So, right. And and you know uh, and, and let's be clear because I'm seeing people in the chat. We're not defending Deshaun. It's actually, in, we're actually on the opposite side, right? You know, um, but people believe, you know, whatever you want to believe, that's fine. Well, no, but, and and, and, and I'll say this too. And let me just say this. Let me just say mm-hmm. this too. If you got twenty-two people or whatever the number it is accusing you of this, if it walks like a duck and acts like a duck, it's not a dog. I mean, that's yep. just how I feel about it. Like, you know, yep. absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. 20, 20, all these women accusing you of uh, sexual assault and all that kind of stuff. It can't, you know, all of them can't be lying. All of them can't and, be in it for the money. Which, which, which all the more reason why this is something that should not have drug out the way it, it did. To me, that, that, that's my, that's my only issue. That's my biggest issue with the whole thing that, it took right. them a year and a half to get this done. And right. and and he also lost a year. And again, I'm not saying it's him, but I'm saying in the process he already got he was he already had a year taken away from him. And, you know, they made such a you know, the the, the scuttlebutt was that they wanted to take another year. Why should he, you know, take this for whatever it's worth, even with the crime and punishment and whatever? Why should he be given, in a sense, another year for someone else's incompetence? I mean, at the end of the day, right. this is what you know. He got. A, he basically got an extra year because the NFL dragged their feet on this. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm looking at someone said the year was taken. Wasn't taken. I'm sorry. Um, well then, the, the, I don't know. I don't know what reverse universe you're well, looking at. Well, but he didn't play because, a game last because, year. Because remember that you know that the Texans guys um, decided they they wouldn't play him because if he gets hurt, they can't trade him. So I guess that's what the person is saying. It really wasn't taken per se, but semantics. You know, I mean, we might be splitting semantics. hairs, and I don't know. Sem- semantics, semantics. He didn't play. Did, right. He didn't play a game. Right. He didn't play. A game. He or he, you know, he lost the game. He didn't again, play. It, it, he didn't play. He didn't play a full year. And, and right. again, yeah. no one's condoning, but I'm just saying, why does it take you a year and a half to bring down a decision that, in a sense, could have that that that? Why why did it take you a year and a half to get this done? If someone can answer that question right. for me, then maybe I'll you know whatever. But no, that's that's to me that's the elephant in the room. Why did it take a year and a half to get this done? And then you want, you know, sort of yeah. have you want to make it like you're this great bastion of 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 caring about women. They don't. They don't. They, you know, well, they care it, more it, about it, their. Image. Listen, I, I right. I would say this to you, to to the both of you. If there isn't any protest, then that means again going back to Vic, dogs are more important than what allegedly <laughs> Deshaun Watson did. Because there was a lot of protests against Michael Vick and, you know, PETA and all these other organizations. So so maybe Nick and T. Yeah, right, right. So, you know, if there's no, Nick, if there's no protest, then maybe in some cases and in scenarios and cities that people value the life of dogs more than 
you know, that this, you know, the allegations uh, against Deshaun Watson with these women, unfortunately. So, um, we shall see. Uh, Nick, so Baker Mayfield goes to the Panthers, right? And does the Browns, do you think, in your opinion, the Browns regret letting them go? I know they got Jacoby Brissett and uh, the kid from Pittsburgh uh, to, to, to play, you know, uh, until Watson comes back. Um, but you, do you think they regret that? And how do you think he's going to do in Carolina? Uh, um, I, I'd say that's one of the more 50-50 situations that they're, you know, that's one of the more intriguing camp battles there are. You know, it wasn't too long right. ago that everybody was, was kind of toasting Baker Mayfield. He brought them to the playoffs after a long drought. Uh, got them, I think, a win, right, on the road against uh, Tennessee. And, you know, everybody was picking the, you know, the Browns to do something again the next season. And then he just kind of goes out and lays an egg. Um, you know, I don't know. Maybe a change of scenery does him well. Um, you know, Cleveland's always a tough place to play weather-wise. You know, the fan base is tough to please, et cetera. Sometimes guys just learn from their mistakes the second time around. Uh, by all indications, he straight up beat Sam, Sam Darno for the job. Um, you know, take that for what it's worth. But, you know, he's he's at least better than Darno, and Darno had a head start, so to speak, in the system. Um, you know, he, he always seems like kind of a good teammate, you know, a competitor, a guy who's going to wear his emotions on his sleeve. I mean, you know, I think those are positive traits in a quarterback in general. Um, so there's a part of me, I think, that's rooting for him. On the other hand, though, again, he was he was not very good last year. And, right. you know, I'm not sure if the 2021 version of Baker Mayfield is what Carolina is going to get. If it is, they're in trouble. You know, uh, Cleveland may be better suited with, with a guy who's, who's just going to check down, check down, check down and manage the game like Jacoby Brissett for 11 games and then, you know, let the Deshaun Watson era begin. But, um, you know, you know, like I said, he, he's got some talent. He's still young. He's still got a pretty good arm. But, you know, he, he's got to make better decisions. It reminds me a little bit of what happened with Jamison Winston in, in Tampa. You know, he showed some right. promise. He threw for over 5,000 yards. And then he just, you know, could not get it together on the turnover front with 30 interceptions, you know, threw his way out of town and, you know, the rest is history, but he played pretty well for uh, New Orleans before he got hurt. I mean, his completion percentage wasn't great, but he had limited the turnovers, which was, you know, the big uh, the big hurdle. So I think if Baker right. can, you know, get, get on the same page with his new teammates, it seems like so far so good, at least in camp, but, you know, who knows what that's worth. But uh, but But, yeah, it would be certainly a good kind of comeback story for the NFL and for the Panthers and for Baker Mayfield, if you can come out and, and, you know, get some success there. Nick, I don't know what the expectations there, because in that division, Woodson's coming back with a, a loaded Saints team. Now they had some changes and stuff. Brady with the bucks. Um, and, you know, it's just, I, I don't know what the expectations there are for this team. Maybe seven wins. I don't know. Um, but what, what do you think? How do you think they'll fit in in the in the um, NFC South? 
they probably go 0 and 4 against uh the Saints and the Bucks barring an upset. Um you know, you would hope that they could beat Atlanta twice. <laughs> I think Atlanta's in worse shape than they are. Uh, right. You know, you that line going eight wins. Yeah, I, I think if they go three and three in the division, that's a huge uh, win. Um, and, you know, I don't think anyone's expecting them to win more than seven. So if if they go eight and nine or something like that, I think that's that's a, a clear step in the right direction. But but you pinned it in terms of the division. I think it it starts with the Saints and Bucks. Um, quick before I go to Tony uh, for questions, uh, it, you know when you look at the Patriots and this and this camp, um, preseason's kind of been up and down. But yeah, you know I don't really, especially with Belichick, he's not going to really show his hand. So it it is what it is. Um, but what do you see with this team? How close can they come to trying to defeat? The, the favorite, which would, would be the Buffalo Bills, who actually got stronger, too, as well, on the offensive line, defensive line. Uh, how, how how much do you think they can come close to trying to knock off the Bills? Well, after 47-17, it looked like, you know, a varsity versus JV team back in January. <laughs> uh, have they closed that gap? I don't know. Uh, I think they're probably 9-8. You know, I've been saying that all summer. I said that before the draft. I'm saying it after the draft. I think nine and eight's about right. Um, I expect Mac Jones to be a little bit better. I think they'll continue to open up the playbook for him as they did slowly but surely last year. I think he's proven that he's a high IQ quarterback that, that you know, has serviceable footwork in the pocket. He's got a serviceable quick release and is a good decision maker. And, you know, the question is, can they, can they capitalize more consistently in the red zone? Uh, they didn't really have a red zone threat in that receiving core outside of Hunter Henry. I think if, if Parker can stay healthy and stay on the field, that's obviously a big body target that, that should earn his pay inside the 20 yard line. Um, you know, I, I kind of like their running back core. I wasn't counting on James White at all, and I was right. You know, he retired. He looked like he had absolutely nothing left when he played last year, if he played. Uh, so that doesn't surprise me. That, again, kind of answers the question, why they draft two backs late in the fourth and sixth round? It was just to get bodies in there, because I don't think they were counting on White either. But Stevenson in year two is, is certainly, I think, a serviceable backup, a guy worthy of the rotation um, to complement Harris as the first and down, you know, second down banger, the goal line back. Uh, Stevenson's going to have to expand his role a little bit in terms of the passing game to try to, you know, fill the, the shoes of White there. But if they can find a way to, um, you know, get the screen game going again, you know, get the draw game going again, uh, that was kind of absent at times last year. I think that does make a difference and make this offense a little bit more dynamic. You throw in the Parker signing, you throw in another year, maybe underneath of, of Kendrick Bourne. And, you know, I think Henry's still a pretty sure handed threat in the red zone as well at tight end. So, you know, it's going to be a big year. It's going to be a big year. A lot is going to depend on the growth of Mac Jones. I think it was an encouraging start last year. And if they can, again, add some stuff into the playbook that he's a little bit more comfortable going a little further down the field, open some things up, that'll complement the run game pretty well. 
defensively, there's always a question, it seems like, in the secondary. And for a long time, right. that was really the strength of the defense. Over the last two or three years, though, there's, there's been some kind of drama, whether it's been Gilmore, whether it's been Jackson. Um, you know, he always seems like he needs to reload with draft picks. And, you know, one of these rookies ends up making a play, making a name for himself. I think they've got a little more linebacker depth. Another year of Judon on the edge. Um, right. You know, Barmore on the interior, I think, is a promising player. They, they spent second-round capital on him last year. He started to come on towards the end of the year. Now he should be a full-time starter. Um, so, you know, a lot of these young guys, remember, they spent a ton of money in the offseason last year prior to the start of 21. And, you know, you give that – kind of a grace period, mix in with the rookies, new quarterback, et cetera, you should see some improvement on both sides of the ball in year two. And again, their first round pick this year went to a guard, you know, up front, bring some youth to that old line. They bring back four starters. We'll see how much Trent Brown has left, um, you know, but, but I, I think that's kind of a work in progress, but, but we've been talking about it all summer, LA. It's going to be ground and pound. It's going to be play action, and uh, for the most part, can they win it ugly? You know, can they win games in the low 20s, you know, upper teens, low 20s? Can they get back to that spot in January where potentially it might be another trip, you know, out west to Buffalo? Um, you know, can you hope for Mother Nature maybe to throw a curveball like they got in December with the 50, 60, 70-mile-an-hour winds and were able to eke out a win on the road? You know, so, so it is yeah, possible, and it, I, I think. I think, again, the ingredients are there, but a lot still needs to be done to take that next next step forward in year two, so to speak, with Mac Jones under center. And with him, he reminds me of Brady in a sense that if you – it seems like if you get pressure up the middle, it, he gets a little out of his element. You know, he's rolling right or rolling left trying to throw. Um, and, you know, that – you know, with Brady, that's what it was. When you get him up the middle – then he's got to right. make the adjustments. He don't want to get hit. So I, I see a lot of that in Matt Jones uh, there. Uh, Tony. Oh, I'm uh, I'm off. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. Okay. So so Nick, uh, I you know, man, last time we talked, my Yankees were I don't know, 15 games up to 16. Down to eight, that's still a lot, but they've been playing some horrible ball injuries. The, the, the guy's not hitting and, and, and all of those things. Um, but meanwhile, what in the ham sandwich is the issue with Boston? What I, I told T-Mac um, before the season started, I thought Baltimore would be a lot better than what people think they would. I thought that they, they had the young youth pitching and they can do well. Um, but I did not expect Boston to be in the basement in this division. The division's tough, and the Red Sox really don't have a rotation that's, you know, anywhere near consistent. I mean, you know, when they were winning, you know, division titles and, you know, going deep in the playoffs and winning World Series, you had really three horses that you could pencil in, um, you know, to give you six, seven innings. You know, maybe not spectacular numbers. Uh, at the end of the day, but but guys that could at least keep you in the game, veterans usually at the top end of the rotation. I mean that that was a big part of the success. Never mind the spending, 
and all that. It was, you know, a lot of it was starting pitching depth that they had. And that just hasn't happened. I mean, you know, they, they were hoping to rely on some guys in the farm system, some homegrown talent with a mix of veterans, you know. But even Evaldi, who's been a pre- pleasant surprise over the last two or three years coming into this season, has been, you know, he's kind of come back down to earth, I think, uh, in a lot of ways. And, you know, obviously Chris Sale, you couldn't count on him. We, we know about that. Um, right. And they never really, you know, they never really replaced Sale. He was supposed to be the horse. He was supposed to be the guy, supposed to be the cornerstone, but he's, you know, he's, he's MIA more often than not. So uh, until I think they get serious and decide to spend again, particularly on an ace, I mean, this is what you're going to get. Um, you, you know, you thought you saw something for a little while with Cutter, you know, coming in and basically with two pitches was, was at least giving him six, seven innings, keeping it down. You know, but he obviously just fell apart on Sunday and got exposed. So there's just not enough depth in the rotation. You know, never mind what's going on with the bats. You know, you got Devers, and that's really about it in terms of consistency. The deadline moves, I think, were, you know, average at best with Pham. You know, he's been all right, I guess. You know, gives you a little bit of versatility at either the top or the bottom, but. Yeah, they're just not deep enough one through eight, one through nine or whatever, and and they're nowhere near deep enough one through five with the rotation. I think it's that simple. And the division is good. The division is as good as it's been in a long time. With the Yankees up, the Orioles out of the blue, you know, Toronto is hanging in in the race longer than usual at this point. And uh, and obviously Tampa is rock solid. So there's just not a night off. <laughs> there's never seemingly a chance to lick their wounds. When they do win a series or two, it's very short-lived. You know, they go out and lay an egg in game one later in the week or whatever it is. So it, it, it's been a frustrating year for sure. I, I think the expectations were kind of all over the place in spring training, depending on who you talk to. And then, obviously, April was horrible. That left a, kind of a bad taste in everybody's mouth. And then they kind of flirted with success right before the All-Star break, gave the fans a little bit of hope. But um, they're, just, they're just being exposed now as we head towards the tail end of the season for what they are. They're just not good enough, by, you know, not nearly good enough to compete in that division. Who's the most surprising team in the um... – AL and NL. I mean, when you look at, I, I've been on the White Sox bandwagon for a long time, and I know they're full back. I had to, talk, if you talk to T, I had them last year, and they disappointed me. Um, and then when you, you you look at the National League, I mean, it, you know, I mean, as good as the, you know, the Padres have been, the Dodgers have been lights out. So who's your mm. surprise team in AL and NL? I think you named it with the Orioles. Um, you know, and they were supposed to sellers at the break, too, right? Didn't they deal their closer? They dealt one of the better power hitters in Mancini, and, you know, right. they're, still, they're still winning despite that. So I, I think that's a huge surprise. I mean, Seattle, we'll see if they get to the finish line. If they do, I think that's a good story as well out west. Um, you know, they've been good up until this point before and have had late season collapses in recent history, as we know. But if, if they get there and get into the playoffs again, I think that's, you know, got to be a candidate for feel-good story of the year, at least in the AL. 
And then the NL is obviously the Mets, too. I mean, they're, they're still right there. They're not maybe as hot as they were the first two, three months of the season. But um, I still think overall they've exceeded expectations, hanging with the Braves uh, in a relatively tough division. So, uh, you know, I would say that the NL overall is probably deeper, a little more parity. It's a little more competitive than the AL. I think it's still probably a two-horse race in the American League, despite, you know, the fact that the Yankees haven't been able to score for a month now. It seems like, but but right. they'll still, I think, be there or, or are the favorites to be in the ALCS at this point. I would still say, because of that big lead in the division. But um, you know, everybody talk about Judge being MVP. You know, no problem with it. But but how about looking at his teammate there, Mike Stanton? Right. I mean, right. he provided the protection to allow him to see those pitches, to get you know to pile up those monster numbers. Now, there's nobody behind him that's, that's feared to protect him, and Judge is seeing now one pitch to swing at, kind of like Bonds was, you know, at the tail end of his career when, you know, they'd intentionally walk him every other at bat and maybe give him one to swing at here and there. Uh, Judge just isn't seeing the same pitches without Stanton in the lineup. It's affecting the entire offense. Right. Well, it, it's going to be interesting because you you – you got some pretty big league uh, leads, and with the exception of the the, the central, um, and you know both centrals, AL and NL, you got some big leads. And see, let's see what happens with those leaders uh, down the stretch. Nick, as always, my friend, I appreciate your time. Um, enjoy your week, and we'll talk next week, sir. Thank you, LA. Have a good one, Tony, and we'll talk Take next care, week. Man. All right. Now. All right. Yeah, man. Nick Anastas, he's a, the a voice of UMass Lowell basketball and, of course, of uh, Anastas Media. And, of course, the minute he said uh, Judge is uh, struggling, Judge hit one to uh, Newark. Right, so he did, did play in the Mets. I think my surprise teams, uh, I'm not saying, I'm, I'm not, I think Seattle, not the Orioles, because I just thought that the Orioles were going to put it together. They'd be 500 or better. You know, they might finish 10 games over 500 or whatever the case. And the NL, I thought the Phillies, without their, their hitter, are hanging in there. It's just the, the, the problem is they in the division where, you know, the Mets are where they are and Atlanta where they are, and they, they're way back. But what's your thoughts of teams in the AL and in, in the uh, NL? Well, that the are thing, surprising to you. The thing with the Phillies, um, they have something that a lot of other teams don't. They have two. They have two good starters right at the top with uh, Nola and Wheeler. Uh, their right. problem has always been the, the been the bullpen. You know, then they get uh, Robertson from was he, from from the Cubs. So that, I think that's one of the reasons why. Uh, look, Probably the best thing that they did was uh, send Joe Girardi back to MLB Network for for the most part. That probably loosened up the clubhouse. But see, here's yeah, that the, seems here's, to ignite them. It ignited them. It seems. Well, like see, it. Here, here's here's the other nasty thing that they won't tell you. And take it for what it's worth, they're a better team without Harper. I don't care what anyone says. Right. They're a much better. They're a much balanced team. They're a much better balanced lineup. When Harper's not there, and um, now he, I guess he's going to be coming back, but this, you know, they're, now they're still in it uh, for the wild card. The thing with them is, I think going into the season, a lot of people 
uh, thought that they were going to be the National League version of the Texas Rangers, but they've got a little, they've got enough pitching to put them into it. Um, the thing right, they, them, a lot of people, I guess, T thought they were going to just hit their way to the playoffs. Yeah, and and to a to a to an extent they have, but they still do have. They let's put it this way: they're one of those teams where if they get in, they've got two guys at the start. They needed a they you know I'm surprised they did not go after uh, another starter uh, when the trade deadline came along. But I guess you know they they, we, they weren't able to make a deal or what have you. Um, to me, the real surprise is uh, the Guardians. I didn't I didn't see the Guardians, uh, and now now it might be reflective just of how bad that division is right now. But no, nah, I, I think if someone had told you the Guardians would be in first place. Uh, in August, you might have they might have looked at you a little crooked, right? And they, of course, made a change. So it's interesting to see how that plays out when you you look at them, and you know they're, they're one and a half up. But uh, you know, I I I liked it, the White Sox. I I like Minnesota, um, but like you said, Cleveland's hanging in there, and and they they got a one and a half lead. We'll see what happens. What a, what about this MVP race? Um, I, you know, uh, a, a judge, you could do that. But like he said, Giancarlo um, Stanton has really helped him by, you know, taking those pitches and allowing Judge to get the ones that he needs to hit. But what would you? Who would you say in both leagues would be MVP? Uh, I guess you got to go with Judge. You know, you're, you're going to get some. You're going to get some Otani votes just because they people still are. In in awe, but I mean, like, come on, it's it's like voting for Trout. They're they're gonna finish in fourth with him. They're gonna finish in fourth without him. Why? why so he's he's not an MVP. Right. Um, right. Say what you want about Judge, but they, you know, he's the main reason why um, they're where they're where they're at. Um, I guess you could make an argument for uh, Alvarez and Houston as well. Um, oh yeah. I, you know, I, I I think people people still are sleeping on Houston. I mean, if you're still if you're still caught up in the whole sign scandal, they've been to the AL they've been to the ALS the last five four five years. And if if, if you're if you're still beating them up about the the the, the sign stealing scandal, then you know I, th- I think you're missing I think you're missing the boat. Um, I'm going to be a little biased in the National League. I think uh, I think the Polar Bear is MVP, personally. Mm. It, what happens, because i got a, someone who's a Philly fan, I guess. Sure. Um, do, do the Phillies get back in? I mean, they are in the wild card race, but uh, improve, uh, they add, with, with Harper coming back. I mean, he'll help, but I. But to me, you know, even with this series notwithstanding, they're a better balanced team to me without Harper. I just, you know, right. You got to, you know, look for all that you want to say about Harper. Harper's a great player. I don't take anything away from it. Washington won their World Series without him, and let's face it, Phillies have gone on their run without him. It's 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 sort of like. What's going on in San Diego? You know, a lot of people are saying, oh, now that Tatis is out, you know, that they're out of it. But 
they played the majority of the last two years without him. So what, what, what's really the big difference? Right. They, I mean, because they're, they're still getting their power numbers. So oh, yeah, they still got guys hitting the ball really the well. Thing, the thing with them, you know, I'll say it before and I'll say it again. Until they beat the Dodgers, when it when it counts, they're always going to be a third class citizen in in uh, in California. You know, Juan Soto and um, Josh Hader, notwithstanding. Yeah, um, uh, talking with some of the teammates in the spring. Um, it, T, when you look at the teams that have the lead. Uh, you figure, okay, let's assume that, you know, the Yankees hold on. Houston's got a big lead. And let's just say Cleveland. What are the matchups would you would uh, see in terms of um, who would be the favorite? And I, I, I'm assuming you would say Houston. Houston, um, until they until they show differently, Houston's the best. Houston to me, Houston's the team to beat in the American League, and the Dodgers are the team to beat in the National League. And so, what about the wild card? A wild card team that can upset one of these division leaders, assuming that they win the prospective uh, divisions. Uh, I know it's cliche, but I wouldn't want to play Baltimore. They got. They wow. literally have. They literally. Have, they got nothing to lose. They're already a year ahead of schedule, for for the most part. And if they get in, you know, so that's 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 always the dangerous. That's put it this to me. Um, they're dangerous because they haven't peaked yet. That's the scary thing about them. Remember, they got rid of arguably their two of their better players. And they've and they're still playing well, so right. that's you know I, I you know I think it's safe to say um, the American League East is the best division in baseball. I mean you know you got arguably you've got um, three of the best teams in all of baseball in that division. You know I you know I you know I always give Tampa uh, a hard way to go, but I you know they're always going to be in it to a certain extent. They're rock extent, solid, they rock solid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, they're you know, but I, I, I think they're, let's put it this way, if they don't win it this year, I don't think they'll, they'll I don't think they'll ever win it because now Baltimore, because now you got Baltimore who is where they were about a year ago, about two years ago. And Baltimore is, I think, um, the, 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 the scary thing about Baltimore to me is that they, you know, what's going to be, even if they do make the playoffs, their season starts in the off season when they, when they, when they, right. you know, when they try to act because see now, you know, now they're relevant again, and you know, right. you know, they were, you know, let's let's face it, Baltimore. The only difference between Baltimore and witness protection the last two three years is that we've actually seen the Orioles in public. Um, right. Right. But now but they're playing with house money. They're playing with house exactly, money, though. Absolutely, so they got absolutely. nothing to lose. Got nothing absolutely, to lose. Absolutely. And if they get in, they, you know, that's the scariest team to play. Those are the scariest teams to play yeah. because, like I said, they're a year, they're a, they're, they're a year ahead of schedule. 
I think it's safe to say they're a year ahead of schedule. I think I don't think people. I, I didn't I didn't see them being this well this year. I thought I thought maybe next year, but they did it right in a sense. They were able to get rid of some of their assets, but most importantly, they were able to kids like Kutchman and some of the other players. And see, remember they've all you know that core. That little core has been there for a while. You know, Rollins, uh, Santander, um, Mullins. So they've been there. Now it's it's been just a matter of when they were going to, you know, really come together. And now, they, you know, now they're getting, you know, let's face it, they're getting they're getting a lot of um, they're getting a lot of um, a lot of on the job training while still winning games. Yeah, and right now, as it stands, that as of today, obviously Tampa and Toronto, uh, right there, Seattle, they're all. It's a it's sort of a three way tie. Seattle's a, a percentage point behind, but there is three teams there, and then you look at Minnesota and Baltimore, are two and a half behind there. All, so all Baltimore of, all definitely of, has a shot. All of all of these races, and you know, the NL East is going to come down to the last day of the season. Both of the wild cards, they're going to come down to this. There's nothing, you know, the folks that have their big leads, barring something really crazy, they're going to win. The, you know, even, even, you know, I don't even think the Yankees could collapse themselves out of a wild card at this point in time right now. But, you know, it's at, at, at this point, it's um, it's going to come down. You know, this this is the time. If you can't look for this way, if you can't watch baseball this time of the year, you're just not a baseball fan. Because every day, right. and now, pretty much now until um, September, you know, you're going to be, you know, checking the score, you know, depending on who, you know, where you're at, you're going to be checking the scoreboard to see if so-and-so won last night and did we able to increase the lead and, and all this other stuff. Right. And and every game counts. And, and, and the fact that you scoreboard watching, like you said, you know, we play in the Mets, uh, your squad, we're hoping the Dodgers can sweep Tampa, and if we fumble, at least you know we don't lose any ground, and maybe we gain some ground if the Dodgers can sweep Tampa. We would love to have that happen as a as a Yankee fan, but we we shall see. T, before you go, let everybody know about Black Athlete Sports Network how they can follow you, sir. Uh, we're at uh, www.basnnewsroom.com. Um, we uh, just uh, put out the um, HBCU Pro Sports Media uh, picks for the year. The poll, I believe, comes out later this week. Also, uh, Gary Norris Gray is doing some stuff on hockey. And um, HBCU football season starts Saturday. It's here. Yeah, exciting. We got some coaches coming on next week, too, Tisa. We'll be able to interview, too, man. Love you, man. Appreciate you. You enjoy your day. We'll talk uh, uh, during the week. Take care. Bye, right, bro. Tony T. Mac McQueen. Always good to have him on. He's the editor in chief of the Black Athlete Sports Network. Listen, if you miss any part of our broadcast, um, you can go to our YouTube page at LA Bachelor and and watch some of the shows there. We're on IBM TV. If you have a Roku stick. You can watch it on IBM TV, the Bachelor News Radio Show. Fire Stick, if you have a Fire Stick, you can watch it on Big Mind Entertainment. And, of course, 
um, you can check us out on uh, the Bachelor News dot airtime dot pro. Enjoy. I'm going to leave you with a song. We thank you so very much for uh, joining us. You didn't have to, but we really appreciate it. Enjoy. Talk with you soon.
With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.